following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Who shall wear that robe and the crown? Who shall wear that starry crown? We don't dare answer that question lightly or quickly. It's far too serious. It involves eternity. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. These questions have been on my mind from the time I was a small child. I remember at the tender age of of seven, eight, nine years of age, coming home from church, crying, and Daddy asking, Why are you crying, Raymond? 
because there's sin in my heart. Well, what sin is a six, seven, eight-year-old boy going to commit? Oh, a lot. Bitterness and anger toward parents, anger toward my brothers, lying, cheating. Little boy can commit an awful lot of sin in an awful short amount of time. And my daddy would always talk to me about, Ray, do you want to go to heaven? You can't do that and go to heaven. You have to decide. So from a very early age, I've been, I would say, desperately concerned. And there are those who have always chided me and said, Oh, Raymond. And then as an adult, Oh, Pastor Ray, you should not even be talking about whether or not you're saved. Of course you're saved. Well, there's nothing the devil would like me to believe any more than that if, in fact, I'm walking in the flesh, in the wicked, sinful nature. It's not about what you profess that you're saved or not saved that will make the difference. It's whether Jesus has written your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, whether you're registered in heaven You certainly do not have the salvation yet of your body. If you're listening to this broadcast, you are not saved yet in the final sense. You are still on probation. And so for you to take a position, I'm saved, I'm not going to visit that question again, would be a very foolish position to take because you're risking your eternity with that That self-absorbed confidence. No, we are told in the scriptures to be very careful to make our calling and election sure. And so as we come to this eighth chapter of the book of Romans, it says in verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus, not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So don't take the words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, if you are still walking according to your sinful flesh. It's an oxymoron. You can't do that. Now, if the law could set us free, we would have all been set free. And I fear that many today are walking under the law, doing all they can do to be good, but recognizing they constantly fail at the good. And so there is a constant struggle between their heart and sin. And this comes because the law is weak. The law cannot bring us into righteousness or innocence. And it is an inadequate and foolish answer to say 
well, I can't be righteous. I recognize that. So God's just going to have to cover me so that when he looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees himself. And I'm covered now by the blood of Jesus, but I'm a sinful man. If you think about, just think about that, how wicked that position is. There's no gospel in that. There's no there's no victory. There's no real power. There's no real excitement. There's no juice in that wicked answer. The scriptures say in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans that Jesus brought down judgment upon the sin while in the flesh. So Jesus came and he brought judgment against sin, not against you and not against me. He brought judgment against sin. The judgment we face is at the end of time, not now. The judgment we face is when we've made the final decision and we are now confirmed in rebellion against Jesus or at peace with Jesus. The ones who are being according to the flesh mind, that is, in the fallen nature mind, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil mind, they are the ones who are cut off from God. Not from religion, please hear me. They're not cut off from religion, but they're cut off from God. It is only those who are walking in the Spirit, according to the Spirit, that have Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, The mind of the flesh is death. Now, let me stop and just quickly say something to clarify what I'm trying to tell you today. The human body is made up of flesh. This flesh body is death. We're all going to die. We have a set amount of time we're going to live on this earth, and then this flesh body is, is wrung out. It's worn out. It's, it's cast aside and becomes dust. Now, this flesh body in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans is seen in two ways. One, that flesh body is now under the law of sin and death. And that flesh body is naturally bent toward hatred for God. But then this flesh body can be changed. I'm not speaking about our nature. I'm talking about the body now that we live in. This flesh body when we make a decision in our spirit to join in righteousness with Jesus based on what he did at the cross, now this flesh body, even though it is still of death, we're told is quickened by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and life from the Holy Spirit flows into this body of death. In other words, the flesh body either walks under the law of sin and death or it, lo it walks in submission 
to Jesus Christ, and while we are yet on this earth, we are given utterly to him. Now, please, before Adam and Eve fell, they were in flesh bodies. There's nothing per se sinful about a flesh body. Jesus walked in a flesh body upon this earth, and he knew no sin. So let's be clear. This flesh body that I dwell in can either be under the law of sin and death, or it can be made alive by the presence of the Holy Spirit as I walk in and under the power of the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus. We are not forced by this flesh body to walk in sin. I mean, my hand has never made me sin. My feet have never made me sin. My spirit has directed my hand to do that which is ungodly in the past, and my feet have taken me to ungodly places in the past because my spirit was under the law of sin and death and belonged to darkness. And so as a child, as I was weeping over my sin, my father was very wise in understanding that it was not my body, it was my spirit that was walking in rebellion to God, and he directed me toward Jesus to be filled with his presence. And after I would repent, I would be filled with the peace of Jesus, and I would know the presence of Jesus. Now you are being invited today to cast off the body, the flesh, the submission to the law of sin and death and to come under the Holy Spirit and be entirely consecrated to Jesus Christ, to be given utterly over to him so that Jesus' presence rules in your life and you are filled with the Holy Spirit because you are walking in righteousness. You cannot walk under the law of sin and death and be in Christ and be righteous at the same time. You, you are either in the body of flesh under the law of sin and death, or you are in the body under the rule of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in righteousness, walking according to the tree of life and not according to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, these things need to be separated very clearly in your mind and in your heart. That's why yesterday I stressed so strongly and I was so pleased by Howard's phone call. I know that was established by the power of the Holy Spirit as he called him to make a decision to divorce the devil. 
to utterly refuse the devil's onslaught through his body of flesh, through his natural man, and instead called out so that now Howard has the opportunity of being quickened by the Holy Spirit and life begin to flow in his human body as a gift of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, For the mind of the flesh, i.e. the fallen nature, is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. Both the mind of the flesh, the fallen nature, and the mind of the spirit in life and peace both take place as a person is in their flesh body. Both happen in the same body. Noses. Verse 7, since the mind of the flesh is hatred against God, indeed it is not subject to the law of God, for neither is it possible. In fact, the ones being in the flesh are not able to please God. So if you are not walking in a manner that is pleasing to God, you are not saved. That's what Paul is saying in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. So if if I come to you and I say, are you walking in any known sin? And you say, oh yes, I'm still struggling in this area, in this area, in this area. You're not walking in the mind of the spirit. You're walking in the spirit of death. Now, by God's grace, the judgment day for you is not now. So I cannot say you're going to hell because you have an opportunity yet, my brother, my sister, you yet have an opportunity to hear this message and to turn to Jesus and divorce the devil. You cannot have a third independent position where you have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the devil. Notice verse 9, But you, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, this one is not of him. But if Christ is in you, on the one hand, the body is dead because of sin. On the other hand, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. For the spirit of the one having raised Jesus out from among the dead ones dwells in you. The one having raised the Christ out from among the dead ones will also make your mortal bodies alive by means of his spirit dwelling in you. So let's unpack that. Let's break that down. I am not walking before God in any known rebellion or sin against him. I have repented of my sin. I have asked him to remove from my heart those things that are unclean. Have I sinned in the past? Greatly. 
as have all men and all women. Does that excuse me? No, it doesn't. The command from Jesus to all men was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven, that is, the divine authority of God is now coming into the earth, and it is taking over men's lives. Has the power of God come in and taken over your life? Or are you still walking in the sin, in the perverseness? Are you still walking in some way in rebellion to Jesus Christ? I'm walking clean before Jesus. I have no area in my life where I knowingly am in any rebellion to Jesus and sin, by definition, must be a voluntary rebellion against God. Sin is volitional. It's voluntary. It's choosing to disobey God. I have no area in my heart like that. And so I'm walking now in a body that in the natural realm is dead. Oh, I'm not, I've not stopped breathing yet. But it is in the process of dying. A newborn baby is in the process of dying. We all face death. We have been held captive by death. But now the good news. Because I have repented of all voluntary rebellion against God, because I have divorced the devil and his ways, my physical body is now being quickened, enlivened by means of the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. So while I live in a body that is dead, that will go to dust, my day-to-day life is based on the inner presence of the Holy Spirit bringing me to life giving me energy to serve Jesus, giving me the power to serve Jesus, giving me the desire to be righteous. All that I have has come from Jesus. All that I am has come from Jesus. Now there are those who will come and condemn me They'll say all manner of unrighteousness about me. But praise God, they're not my judge. Jesus is my judge. And before Jesus, I walk clean. Can you say that today? Now, I want to read more for you because... There's another piece of this we must be made aware of. Verse 12, So then, brethren, we are debtors. 
not to the flesh to live in accordance with the flesh. That is, we are not in debt to the devil. We don't owe him anything. He's never done anything good for us. Every good gift comes from the Father of lights, James says. Down from above, the devil's never done a thing for us. It says we are debtors not to the flesh, i.e. the fallen nature or the devil, to live in accordance with the flesh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if in accordance with flesh you live, you are certain to die eternally. But if by the Spirit you daily kill the practice of your body, you will live eternally. Now, I want you to see the word daily is in the present tense. And in the Greek, it means continuous action. In other words, I don't today say, oh, I'm not sinning. I'm not voluntarily giving myself to this. But I get up tomorrow morning and I suddenly crave the loud music and I suddenly crave the wicked people who gather at the club with the grinding and the dancing and the worldliness and the alcohol, the levity, the foolishness, I begin to crave that in my heart. And so tomorrow I go to the club. Well, Paul is saying, look, what you do today is not enough. But rather... By the Spirit, you daily kill the practices of your body. That is, you daily kill those things that will rise up and tempt you. If you do that every day, that means that every day you're going to read Scripture. You're going to earnestly pray. Every day you're going to divorce the devil. Every day you're going to walk in the freedom of the Spirit. Every day you're going to rejoice in Jesus Christ. You're not going to let up one day and say, well, today, you know what? I don't think so. I'm going to go my own way today. He's saying, don't do that. He says, verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, you'll learn in the book of Galatians that men and women are both considered before God as sons of God with all the rights and all the privileges attendant to a son who has the birthright inheritance. There is no longer in Scripture the putting down, the debasement the superiority of the male over the female. We have different roles in marriage. And if I may say, we have different roles in life. 
but it is a matter of function and not of power. So we are all sons of God, eligible, according to Galatians, to receive the birthright, to enter fully into the Holy Spirit, And he's saying that if every day you divorce the devil and every day you are committed to walking in Jesus Christ and you by the Holy Spirit kill the misdeeds of the body, you will live eternally. If on the other hand, you are giving way daily to the flesh, i.e., the fallen nature, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will not live eternally. Now, I'm not saying this. This is what Romans, the eighth chapter says. I wish the church would, the modern church, would get off their hype about Romans 7 and forget about Paul talking about his bondage before he became a follower of Jesus Christ and pretend that that's our condition when chapter 8 utterly denies that that is our condition before God. Now verse 15, now you receive not a spirit of bondage again into fear, but you received the spirit of sonship by whom we exclaimed, Father, O Father, the Spirit himself bears witness together with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children also heirs of God, indeed, and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer together so that we may also be glorified with him. Again, this suffering business, what is that all about? Well, look again at Roman, or I'm sorry, Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Look at what Jesus said about entering into the kingdom of God through the suffering gate. We can't take our righteous works through that gate. And we can't take our pride, our bitterness, our sin through that gate. Instead, we alone come under the subjection of the Holy Spirit Now, I suspect some of you are saying, Pastor, you're talking about the new covenant. You got it. This is the new covenant. This is the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, that a supernatural work of God is done in our hearts that enables us to walk free of sin, that we walk in joy and thanksgiving because the law could not deal with sin. So for me to come and dare to suggest that the blood of Jesus Christ is no better than the blood of bulls and goats, that it cannot remove my sin, that I'm always going to have to walk in my sin, how ugly and wicked that non-gospel is. Let me read for you out of Hebrews, the 8th chapter the description that is given to us by the writer of the book of Hebrews. This is an amazing statement. 
and of course you'll find this in Jeremiah or Ezekiel it's a new covenant I'll begin reading in Hebrews the 8th chapter verse 8 for finding fault with them he says you pay attention days are coming says the Lord in fact I will establish with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah a new covenant not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day of my having taken their hand to lead them out from the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. So he's speaking here about what happened to the children of Israel when they came out to Mount Sinai, and they said, all that the Lord has commanded we will do. Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, the laws, the fullness of the covenant, the old covenant. And what do they do? They convince Aaron that he should make for them golden calves, prosperity gods. Because they said, we don't know what's happened to this Moses. So we need gods we can see. Well, they could have looked up on the mountain and seen the fire and the thunder and the lightning. They could have looked above and seen the cloud that protected them from the burning sun. Or they could have looked and seen the glorious cloud of fire that lit their camp at night. There was no shortage of the signs of the mighty God of heaven. They chose to disregard it in their lust for the gods of Egypt. And so God says, I disregarded them because this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Now here is the essential new covenant. Putting my laws into their mind and upon their hearts I will write them and I will be to them a God and they will be to me a people and they may by no means teach each his fellow countrymen and each his brother saying know you the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them because I will be merciful to their iniquities and their sins and their lawlessness by no means may I yet remember. By saying a new covenant, he has declared the first obsolete. Now the things being made obsolete and growing old are disappearing. Now, please understand. The new covenant is a supernatural work of God for a person who chooses to utterly consecrate themselves to Jesus Christ. They divorce the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
and they make a total consecration to Jesus. He will come to them, and as a supernatural work of God, he will write his laws on our hearts. He will cause us to walk in obedience to his will. So this is not the law that we try now to keep and continually fail at keeping. Anyone who teaches that you do your best, but you're always going to be sinning, is still under the old covenant. They have misunderstood the glorious nature of the new covenant. Now, why would they do that? Because they still enjoy the things of the flesh and the devil. They still want the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they've concocted a wicked message to say, look, we don't want that total commitment to Jesus Christ. It is too expensive. We don't want to go there. We want a middle ground where we can say, okay, I love Jesus sentimentally. I serve Jesus in every way possible, but still, I'm not able to overcome my sin because you're under the law, mister. And the law will condemn you and send you to hell. The law is not merciful. It is exacting. It will demand to the last penny repayment for debts. But in Christ Jesus, we're being told in Hebrews that there is a new covenant, that the first is obsolete, that the first covenant had regulations of worship, of an earthly sanctuary, a tabernacle. All of this is now obsolete. And there are those who say, oh, Jesus kept the Passover so that means we should keep the Passover no we should keep the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and we should keep the communion we should keep the the broken bread and the spilled blood that's what Jesus said we were to celebrate with not the Passover the Passover's over Jesus kept the Passover before the crucifixion. But after the crucifixion, he did not teach the keeping of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant laws. There's a great misunderstanding in the body of Christ today about food and drink and ceremonial washings, carnal ordinances, and we want to be imposed on by all of these things and think, think that this is somehow righteousness. It's not. In verse 11 of Hebrews 9, it says, But Christ, having appeared a high priest of good things, having already happened through the greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands, this is not of this creation, neither by the means of the blood of bulls and goats, but by means of the blood, his own blood. He entered in once and for all into the holies, he and no other, having obtained eternal redemption 
For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers, sprinkling the ones having been ceremonial defiled, makes holy ceremonially for the purity of the flesh, how much more the blood of Christ, who through his eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, will cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God. Keeping the Old Testament laws... I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do... Come on. Those are dead works. Those are not works of the Spirit. Those are dead works. Very important under the Old Covenant. But under the New Covenant, they're dead works. Jesus is the mediator of a New Covenant It is a glorious covenant. It is not according to the law. It comes from a different source. But the result is, with the law written now in our hearts, by the power of the Spirit, we are set free from the law of sin and death, and we serve Christ now in a new way of the Spirit, Now, is the law done away with? No. The law is fulfilled now. The purpose of the law is accomplished, but not by the law. It is accomplished by the Spirit of the living God dwelling in us. It is a supernatural work of God as he writes on our hearts the commands and regulations that God thinks are most important. They are the laws of Christ. And now we don't go to the law to determine what is right and wrong. We go to Jesus. He is the head of the church. We go to Jesus and we walk under the direct tutelage and power of the Holy Spirit. And so we According to Romans, the eighth chapter, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, that is, of the fallen nature, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if in accordance with flesh you live, you are certain to die eternally. But if by the Spirit you daily kill the practices of your body, that is, the body of flesh of the fallen nature, you will live eternally. You see why I opened the broadcast today saying, are you saved? Well, it's a daily deal. It's not a one-time action. It's a daily walking out of the new covenant. It is a daily walking under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And many of you, please, may I be very straight and honest with you. Many of you are several months' travel away from Jesus. You would have to get in the Scriptures and read for a couple months. You would have to constantly set apart your heart to pray and repent, 
to begin to have the peace of Jesus rule in your heart. I remember I was in a very dire circumstance, financially, emotionally, physically. I went before the Lord to pray. I went at 8 o'clock every morning to the prayer closet, and I stayed in the prayer closet until 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, if I don't have a job and I don't have an income, I'm going to work full-time in the prayer closet. And as I was on my face before God, all I could see was a picket fence that blocked me from the presence of the throne room. I could not enter the throne room. I was blocked out. And I spent much time blocked out of the throne room of God as he dealt with my heart. And finally, one morning I went to pray. And it was just as clear as a bell. I was given entrance to the throne room of God. Now I'm going to tell you something else that you may or may not understand depending on your maturity level in Christ. When I was allowed into the throne room of God, I was told at the entrance, now behave yourself in here or you'll get thrown out. Really? What's he mean? Well, you're not allowed into the throne throne room of God and throw accusations at Jesus or at your brothers. You're not allowed in the throne room of God with bitterness and anger in your heart. It is a holy place. It is a place where we go as we are washed by the blood of Jesus and we are cleansed and we walk under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we are allowed into the throne room of God. We're told that a way has been opened into that throne room through Jesus Christ as an anchor into the Holy of Holies where we can enter now by faith in Jesus Christ under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus. Please, may I tell you, that is a very real place. And if you're going to be there, you're going to have to listen carefully to the directions received there. Please understand Prayer is not a matter of a formal, rote, teaching God what he should think and what he should do. I'm deeply grieved as I listen to some people pray. I think they're really preaching a sermon to those listening to them praying. And then on the other hand, I think they're preaching a sermon to God and telling God what he should think and what he should do. You're on very dangerous ground when you try to enter the throne room to teach God what he's supposed to do. Yes, I, I'm able to enter the throne room of God via the promises of God. That's how we participate in the divine nature. But I don't go into the throne room and throw a hissy fit. 
I go into the throne room of God very sober. I don't go there when I'm drunk. Drunk in anger and bitterness and demands. It's a place of great humility. And I had to be made small enough that I was allowed finally to enter the throne room of God. Do you enter the throne room of God? Is that a real place for you and a real experience for you? Or are you several months away from being allowed to enter because you're walking in known rebellion and sin, you're walking in judgment and anger against another? Or have you humbled your heart before God And now you wait upon him for his direction. The Lord will will speak by the Spirit. He will give you direction by the Spirit. Sometimes the direction is very pleasing to us. Other times the direction is very displeasing. Do we then get angry with God and say, you're not doing what you said you would do and I'm mad? No. That'll get you kicked out of the throne room of God. You go into the throne room of God and you say, not my will, but your will, O Lord. Here is the dire situation I'm facing. Here are the attacks that are coming against me. Lord, I plead with you to deliver me. I plead with you to open the windows of heaven and pour out the blessing you've promised. Will you guide my steps? Will you, will you teach me what I should know? The, the throne room of God is for supplication, not for demands. <coughs> the throne room of God is a sacred place. Now he says, verse 15, Now you received not a spirit of bondage again into fear, but you received a spirit of sonship by whom we exclaim, Father, O Father! The Spirit himself bears witness together with our spirit because we are children of God, and if children also heirs, heirs of God indeed, joint heirs with Christ. In fact, we suffer together so that we may also be glorified with him. Now we find later, let me read this to you, verse 23, And not only they, but also ourselves, having the foretaste of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown, eagerly awaiting sonship, the redemption of our body. For in the hope of the resurrection we were saved, but hope being seen is not hope. For what one sees, why does he hope for it? But if we hope for what we do not see with patience, we eagerly wait. Now, in like manner also, the Spirit takes hold with us against our weaknesses. We know not 
what thing we might pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself meets with us in our behalf with unutterable groanings. So the one searching the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is so that in accordance with God he pleads in behalf of the Holy Ones. Now we know that all things work together for good for the ones loving God, for the ones being called according to his purpose. You see, the Holy Spirit pleads and intercedes for us and moves upon us. Oh, I wish we had more time. I have a lot more to share with you, but we're out of time. I'll pick this up again. We're not going to leave this yet. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you teach my brothers and sisters the truth of what I've been trying with frail human words to say? Would you come and bring conviction and teaching in the name of Jesus? Amen. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I would love to meet you. I invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel on Sunday at 12 noon. We rent from the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Let me give you that address. It's the All Saints Anglican Church, 14851 Gideon Drive. Go around to the back side of the All Saints Church and you'll see a large white sign, lower lobby, Come in through those ground-level double-glass doors, and on the left-hand side, you'll find the National Prayer Chapel. We begin prayer at 12 noon. Come join us. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.